Julia, and welcome to Unnecessary Angst, the podcast. <laughs> I feel like it's been so long since we've had to do that intro, I, I almost forgot how to say my own name. <laughs> Glad we made it through. What's my name? What's in a name? Um, Julia, how's your life going? What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a seven-day-old opened um, Cabernet Sauvignon that I opened last week that my dad bought, and he was like, okay, we'll just make sure to finish it, and guess what? I did not finish it, and then we went to Connecticut, and so now I am finishing Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. My life is good-ish. Um, I mean, it is good. I don't know why I said it is. Uh, <laughs> I start my internship next week, so I've been getting ready for that. I um, am picking up my rental car for the summer on the weekend, Woo-hoo. which is going to be great to finally have a car. And I saw my family for the first time since February last year, like my mother's side of the family, for the first time last weekend, which was very exciting. Um, very fun. Yeah. And I have my class still, which is... in. Interesting time. Um, interesting professor. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, my God. Am I doing anything else exciting? No. Just trying to hold it together. Oh, oh, my gosh. Of course. Because I told you this, but I can tell the podcast. I went to New York City, into the city, for the first time. It was overwhelming. I saw my friends. Did I tell you this? Maybe I didn't. I saw it on Instagram. Yes, I, I Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It was very overwhelming, I have to say, like, I went on this subway, and that was, like, kind of, honestly, weird. Like, everyone was wearing their mask, and everyone was being careful, but the subway is the dirtiest part of New York City, arguably. Yes. <laughs> and I was, like, trying to subway surf, which is really hard on some of those trains, because the tracks are just so old, and it was just, it was a wild ride. <laughs> and then Nicole picked, because um, I had taken the subway from Grand Central to Penn Station, and my friend Nicole picked me and Christina up from Penn Station, and I was like, I let out this huge sigh of relief. I was like, thank God, like, too much public exposure, and then we just went downtown. I hate downtown New York City, but at least it was quieter down there, so that was nice. That's fair. Yeah. I would argue Penn Station is the dirtiest part of New York that City. That is true. Oh my god. Every time I have to go from Grand Central to Penn, it's such a shock because Grand Central is so well organized. It's beautiful. They've done a really great job keeping it up. And then Penn Station is just this massive mess. I know that they have the new train hall, which I didn't go to see because I was just trying to get out of there. Right. Which, the new train hall is supposed to be beautiful, but I don't know. Well, the downstairs part where I was waiting for Christina, where the LIRR comes in, was still disgusting. So. Yeah. Forever <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Anyway, that's me. How are you doing? What are you drinking? I'm doing well. Uh, I am drinking a Zinfandel that I opened up tonight. So, nice and fresh. It's mediocre, but you know what? It's doing the job. And I'm, I'm doing okay. Like, work... Thankfully, I think I said this a couple of episodes ago, but like I finally transitioned onto a new project, and so I have a little bit more flexibility and freedom because I'm leading it, and so it's been nice because it's a little bit easier to manage my hours when I don't have to like constantly be doing work. I just have to review work as it comes in, plus do some other more strategic projects. So that's been nice. Um, 
but found out that I will be becoming a full-time parent <laughs> next school year as well. So, been making You're not some... pregnant, to be clear. <laughs> no, no. So I'm basically, like, quasi-adopting a teenager. Starting off parenthood <laughs> The way that you worded strong. that, the way you worded that was just so funny, though. Uh, it's oh been God. way too long since I've been on a date for me to be pregnant. <laughs> I mean, there are ways to get pregnant that don't involve going on a date, but yes. Yeah, those cost money. I barely am willing to buy wine, so, like, no. You don't even have any pets. Yeah, not not signing up for that process voluntarily. Um, But, yeah, so that's been an, an interesting adjustment. I was trying to figure out how to, like, do school enrollment last week like figure out what documentation you need like what stuff you have to fill out on the forms I spent uh, all of my last Friday at the DMV trying to get my license switched to California and get my car registration switched so real adulting so fun don't recommend it and then we were just we needed a mellow weekend so for Memorial Day weekend we did a a three-day Marvel marathon and we got through all of phase one and phase two and then started in on, on phase three. And we'll s- slowly finish the rest of the Marvel movies through the next uh, next couple of weekends while balancing other things. So trying to juggle some fun in between all the life things. And there was a heat wave in California this last um, weekend. So it was just, you know, if it's over 90 degrees, I don't feel like I need to go outside. <laughs> That's fair. My Seattle self is like cringing if it's over ninety degrees. So I uh we we stayed inside in the air conditioning to be extra safe so <laughs> I didn't sunburn. Uh but other than that, things things are good. Things are cruising along. I'm still I will probably say this every episode, I'm so excited to see you in like a month and a half. <laughs> I cannot Wow, wait. it really is coming up fast. It still feels like July is ages away. But it's not. Oh my god, are we going to record while you're here together? (gasps) We are. Whoa, that's going to be exciting. I know, so exciting. Cannot wait. So it's going to be a good trip. And I finally booked all my Disney tickets and everything too. So we have that all squared away. Though I'm bummed uh, we waited too long. (laughs) And there was no availability left at Hollywood Studios. So I'm not going to get to ride Rise of the Resistance, which is the new Star Wars ride. Mm. And Magic Kingdom also. We're not going there. So we're only going to Epcot and Animal Kingdom. <laughs> and then we're going to Universal Studios. But it's still fine. It's all good. Okay. Theme parks are fun. And they're yeah. they're uh, limiting their their mask mandates. And since we'll, all three of us will be vaccinated, because they've cleared vaccinations for children now, um, we don't necessarily have to wear masks when we're walking around in the 95 degree Florida heat, which is going to be a oh, huge that's gonna be great. deal breaker and difference for my mom. So yeah, yeah, everyone's I feel like loosening up now with the, the masks. Which I think we're at a point where we can like yeah. we're very privileged in the United States to be able to do that because a lot of people are vaccinated now. But like. I went out to dinner the other night with my parents in Connecticut, and, like, no one was wearing masks. I mean, like, at the restaurant, you expect no one to be wearing masks, but, like, like even just outside the restaurant and stuff, everyone was pretty maskless. Yeah. And it felt, like, it was weird, but it felt fine. Like, I wasn't worried. 
um, like I was at the beginning of the pandemic. I Well, and I think vaccination makes such a huge difference. It's like having that own internal, like, knowledge that, like, you are protected makes a huge difference in terms of just, like, internal anxiety. I mean, for me, yeah. it does. So I feel a lot more comfortable about going to Florida in general knowing that I'm vaccinated. I would not have gone to Florida if I was not vaccinated, period. Yeah. So, but yeah, excited for upcoming trips and uh, excited to keep chugging away on my TBR. Anyway, <gasps> moving on. Okay, and we've gone on for <laughs> yeah. far too long. That's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about The Wicked King, which is the sequel yes. to The Cruel Prince. Um, I'm so excited to talk about this book. Like, I, I can't even... Oh, man. I, let's just, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's talk about the synopsis, and then we can go through thoughts after it. Um, and so we're going to do, like, what we did for the revealed. We're just going to ping pong back and forth, chapter by chapter, go through a quick synopsis of, of each chapter. So starting with the prologue, uh, we, it's a flashback prologue. So we flash back to a training exercise between Maddox, Taryn, and Jude from when they, the two girls were growing up and he teaches them about power and how they should take it from other people. And then we get to chapter one. Back in present day, Jude is standing next to Carden as his most trusted advisor, waiting for a message from Balakin's jail and thinking about how ostracized she is from her family, Taryn and Maddox specifically. Grimson, the smith who forged the crown, shows up asking for his exile to be lifted, which Cardin grants against Jude's caution. A hag tries to trick Cardin into marrying her or her daughter, but Jude protects him. Locke convinces Cardin to make him the master of revels so he can plan a number of parties, which Jude is not happy about. Chapter 2 Jude goes to the Tower of Forgetting to visit Balakin, where he's imprisoned, and he doesn't give her the answer that she wants because he thinks that he can outsmart her. Another prisoner, out of nowhere, tells Jude that she knew her mother, which throws Jude for a loop, and then she stabs the guard who was on Balakin's side, who tries to attack her, and takes him off the island with her. Chapter 3. They question the guard in the Court of Shadows, and he reveals Orlog and Balakin have been discussing things back and forth in secret. He swears guilty to Jude, and they let him go. Jude and the ghost go out to spar and chat about Oak and if he will adapt well to ruling when he comes back. When Jude returns, Taryn is waiting for her. Chapter 4, Taryn and Jude come to some sort of a tentative peace, and Jude agrees to come to the wedding. Taryn, for now, is still living with Maddox, and Jude knows that she can't trust her fully, but she's definitely been missing her sister. Chapter 5, she wakes up to the ghost and the roach needing her to clean up a drunk garden, seemingly having an orgy with Locke and two other fairies. However, it appears someone tried to assassinate Cardin. Jude finds the hidden passageway used and finds Acacia at the other end, who wanted to surprise Cardin and then tried to kill the girl he was with. They talk and we learn Orlog wants Nikesha and Karn to marry, but is preparing Bilikin as a backup, and Nikesha tells Jude someone she trusts has already betrayed her. She takes Karn to her room to sleep, and he drunkenly flirts with her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jude, Jude does that. Not Nikesha. <laughs> he, he drunkenly flirts with Jude. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, God, Carden. Uh, chapter yeah. six, Jude is worried that she won't be able to anticipate every possible thing she needs to command Carden to do to keep herself safe because that end of a year is looming. Uh, through discussions with the Roach, they realize that the secret passageway in Carden's room was for the king's lovers that weren't consorts, which the Roach finds significant because Carden chose those rooms. So he must have chosen them for a reason. Chapter 7, she goes to meet the Living Council, a collection of counselors that includes Matic. They give her details on Carden's power and his ties to the land, and she tells them they need to watch Orlok. They move on to talking about the upcoming Hunter's Moon Rebel, and after Matic and Jude have a little heart-to-heart. Chapter 8, Jude and the bomb search and clean Eldred's room so Cardin can move into them, and that way they can just keep that one room that has the passageway like completely blocked off. We learn that the Roach's real name is Van, and that the bomb carries a torch for him, but that he doesn't know about that. Uh, at a banquet that night, Nikasia and, and Jude trade barbs back and forth. Nikasia is guessing that Jude may be into Cardin, but she isn't sure, and she also tells Jude that Cardin's mom wasn't even a consort. Chapter 9, Taryn shows up to her room, having gotten a key pretending to be Jude, with her stuff and Tatterfell, who Maddox is letting Jude have. Jude goes through her stuff, and Taryn has some clothing designs she's willing to get made for Jude. She wants Jude to get rid of Locke's Master of Rebels title, as she wants him to stay home with her. Jude lies and tells her she will talk to Cardin about it. <laughs> Great sisterly bonding. God. Uh, chapter 10, Jude tries to convince Cardin for the first of many times in this book to extend his vow uh, of being in servitude to her, but he says no, saying that they either need to crown Oak or come up with a plan that requires them to trust one another. She asks him to keep Taryn safe during Hunter's Moon, and he offers to seduce Taryn away from Locke, which Jude does not appreciate that suggestion. She visits the old uh, Seneschal Valmorin, because that's what Jude's official title is right now, Seneschal, uh, and he advises her to learn to juggle better than he did, which angers her, because it's not useful. Chapter 11, they are at the Rebel, and Carden has stolen her new ruby ring. They walk, and Jude silently broods about how she wants Carden, and he wants her. She engages with Dulcimara, who, but Roybin is not ready to cash in his favor. Locke decides the Rebel requires a game, with Jude being crowned a Queen of Mirth by Carden. Though, of course, she cannot be glamoured into playing the game properly. She plays along, and there's lots of tension with her and Carden and the crowd watching. She makes Cardin dance with her, and they kind of work through some feelings. I hated Not this really. whole scene. <laughs> I hated it. It was, it was uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Chapter 12. As Jude leaves, she realizes Selkies are coming to the rebel. So Selkies obey Orlog and tells a guard to protect Cardin. The undersea delegates arrive and give Cardin a message that he needs to marry apparently. Uh, they join the rebel, and Cardin orders Jude to gather the council, which she obeys. Maddox leaves a note in her room telling her to come talk to him first, so she goes to him. 
He wants her to betray Cardin and make sure there is no alliance with the Undersea, which she really can only agree to do the second part of that, make sure there's no alliance with the Undersea. We also learn that apparently Maddox didn't know about all the shitty stuff that happened to her growing up, like her finger getting cut off, or bit off, (laughs) whatever it was. (laughs) Chapter 13, the council meets with Cardin, and Maddox shames them all for not listening to Jude the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. They talk back and forth on what the message meant, and Cardin orders Jude to bring Nikesha, so she does. Cardin and Nikesha have it out, and Jude tells him never to go order her around again. Jude starts plotting what she can do here and thinks to start manipulating Balakin using other prisoners. Specifically, as the bomb tells her, she wants to free Cardin's mother. Who is the lady that knew her mom, apparently. All interrelated. Um, So (laughs) chapter 14, they bring in Cardin's mother, Lady Asha, to the Court of Shadows. They chat with her, and she doesn't want Cardin to ever know that she is free. Asha starts talking, telling us of a prophecy that Eva, which is the name of Jude's mom, was going to have a child better than any weapon her dad could forge. Which is not enough information for Jude, so she sends her back to the tower, also with some false intel that she wants leaked to Balakin. Chapter 15, Jude gets some new clothes and debates with Maddox and the council on the next course of action, and doesn't agree with Maddox that they should use Oak as bait to lure Orlog, but he is doing it anyway. She gets a message from Vivi telling her to fetch them in a day, and from Cardin telling her to come to the throne room, and one of the council members secretly suggests she removes Maddox as general. She goes to Cardin, argues with Locke, and Cardin shows her a message from Balakin. She sort of explains what she wants him to do with Balakin, and also tells him to seduce Nikesha to get more info out of her, which she does not seem comfortable with, and it turns into a very tense moment between the two of them. He asks, using both words and hands, how he should seduce Nikesha. They have a makeup session, and he asks Drew to tell him she hates him, which she does repeatedly, even though she doesn't mean it. They strip, and some stuff happens, and Drew realizes she's in deep water. God, they're so toxic, and I love it. It's, they're idiots. It's so bad, but it's so fun. I just... Oh, God. Okay. Chapter 16... Jude gets in her head a bit about Cardin, obviously, but ends up going to torture Locke, for whatever reason, though he thinks she's Taryn at first. Uh, She knows she let him get out of hand with, like, the Master of Revels thing, so she's trying to push him back into line, and she tells him to stop um, cheating on Taryn, basically, and if he didn't love her to an extent that he can expect Maddox will murder him. Because, of course, their family solves everything with the murder. Great quote. Chapter 17. Jude and the Roach take some mortals that have been working for them back to the mortal realm and then go eat at a diner. They chat about Cardin, with the Roach saying Cardin is part of the Court of Shadows because he has been training with the Roach and play-acting as king. And they don't keep secrets from each other, so he has the right to know about his mom. We also learn he may return feelings for the bomb. Very important information. So important. (laughs) Jude goes to Vivi's apartment where Vivi has still told Heather nothing and tries to convince Vivi not to come, but it doesn't work. She is very cavalier about everything. Chapter 18, Vivi brings out the ragwort horses, which scares the shit out of Heather. 
and Heather, in her fear, accidentally hurts Oak's feelings a little bit. Uh, in Maddox's house, once they're in the fairy realm, Jude tries to explain things to Heather a little, gives her the rules to stay safe, and Heather takes it all in stride. Vivi tries to give Jude a gift to give to Carden because they were friends as kids, but Jude says that she needs to do it herself and leaves Maddox's house. Jude then sees Nikasia and Carden flirting, and it makes her almost ill, even though it was her plan from the beginning. She goes to visit Grimson, who knew her father, looking for a gift for Taryn, and she ends up getting Taryn earrings that will make her more beautiful, uh, even though that was a hard, you know, gift choice for her to make. In exchange for a single tear and the promise to tell Carden that Grimson will make stuff for him. Chapter 19, Jude plans ways to keep Oak safe and Carden comes to her room with all of Nikesha's secrets. Carden tries to talk about their hookup and Jude lies, saying they did it to get it out of their systems and it was out of hers. Maddox and Jude plot how to control the upcoming situation and Maddox wishes she was running the kingdom for her family and not Carden. Billiken and Carden have an audience and Carden rejects him and his help. Jude has a little fight against herself in the mirror. <laughs> It's a great way of putting it. <laughs> I don't, there's no other way to describe that moment. Uh, chapter 20, Jude and Maddox have prepared multiple diversions to trap the undersea and keep Oak and Carden safe. As she goes to Maddox to spend Taryn's pre-wedding night with her, she is come upon by seven riders looking to injure her and fights them until they run away. She is an arrow wound and tries to clean it herself back at Maddox, but needs Vivi to help hold her wound while she stitches it. They join the rest of the girls, and Jude realizes that she lost Taryn's earrings in the scuffle. The next morning, Oriana brings Jude a very revealing, sparkly dress for the wedding, and they all head off. Chapter 21. They spring the first trap and root around to the wedding. Route around to the wedding. <laughs> and Jude talks to the bomb and then Carden. She reflects on how she feels about him and tells him he is not allowed to be alone that night for safety purposes, which Maddox overhears so he realizes the truth, which is not good. Jude wanders and happens upon Heather, who is turning into a cat, a la Hermione at the Polyjuice Potion, given a prank, and she gets the guy who did it to undo it, and Vivi glamours the memory away, which makes Jude upset. Obviously. The ghost, yeah. The ghost shows up and says they need to go to the Tower of Forgetting, and Jude realizes Locke has a limp, and Taryn has her earrings, so Locke's bachelor party was the group that attacked. She heads out and sets Asha free, realizing Balakin is gone. Also, that the ghost has betrayed her and is partnering with Orlock, and someone knocks her out. Oh, God. It starts getting so crazy from here on out. Yep. Uh, chapter 22, Jude wakes up shackled underwater just for Nikasia to punch her in the stomach because she thinks Jude tricked Carden. They trade insults back and forth, and the next time Jude wakes, she is alone and starts doing all of her what-ifs and wishes for, like, having a better life in her head. She's taken for dinner with Queen Orlog, and Orlog tries to glamour her, so Jude plays along even though we know she can't be glamoured, making it seem like she will be a loyal servant. Nikasia questions her about Carden and whether they've been together, and Orlog questions her about Maddox's plans and rationales. They ask if she will bring Oak to them, and she lies and agrees, but they also reveal that Nikasia has been talking to Grimson to see if he will make a new crown. 
They talk to Jude some more, and then Nikasia tries to glamour her into thinking a cage is a nice room and into making her drink seawater like it's wine. Chapter 23. Jude wakes up sick from not taking poison and thinks about Carden and how she isn't over him. They are torturing her, and she has to pretend to enjoy because she is supposed to be glamoured. Balakin makes her kiss him and makes, <laughs> and makes her pretend she is he is Carden. Carden mm. arranges for her release, and Billiken gives her instructions to kill Carden because Grimson can't finish the new crown until Carden is dead. To be clear, the reason she's sick from not taking poison is because she had been poisoning herself every single day still. <laughs> Which is like, oh her my mythandris- god. Myth- mythandrism? Mythandrism? Yeah. Whatever that word was. Oh, girl. Also, we oh need to god. circle back and talk about that Balakin moment and how uncomfy it makes me. Yeah. But we'll get we'll get back to it. Uh, chapter twenty four, they take her back, and we learn Balakin is going to be Orlog's ambassador, and Cardin has agreed to something else as well, but we don't know what it is in his bartering to get her back. She's taken to Maddox's house, where Taryn is back in Maddox's house to help her recover and give her information on what has been happening. Dulcimara comes to see her, and we learn Cardin let Orlog attack the Court of Termites and forbid them from retaliating, so Roybin's consort was hurt, Kay. And Roybin wants to, according to Dulcimara, Roybin wants to call in his favor, and he wants the death of Balakin. Jude grabs a knife and jumps off of her balcony to leave Maddox's house. <laughs> While injured, of course. (laughs) Chapter 25. Jude is trying to understand why Carden would make this choice to get her back. She tries to go to him, but she is barred from the palace. She tries a few different ways, but still is on going to Balakin for help. Balakin gives her poison for Carden at a masquerade the next night. Chapter 26. Jude decides to stay in Carden's old room at Hollow Hall for the night, but doesn't let Balakin know she's staying there. To regain some strength, she then manages to find a way into Cardin's room at the palace, and they talk through what has happened, and Cardin basically gives a declaration of love, without using the word love, uh, but then the roach and the bomb out of nowhere have a crossbow aimed at Jude, telling Cardin to get out of bed and making Jude empty her pockets, which includes the poison. Jude explains she cannot be glamoured, and then they plot what to do. Moving forward. Chapter 27. Jude goes to a market to find an outfit for the masquerade. She gets a mask that looks like her face and a dress that is in walnut, in a walnut, from the hag in chapter 1. She goes back to Balakin, gets ready, and he is ready, he, he is so ready to crown himself king. At the party, she gets into an awkward conversation with Taryn and Locke and talks to Roybin about all that has happened, and he says he will talk to Cardin before calling in his debt. Carden comes out, blasted, and sings a song to the crowd. Maddox tries to force her hand to make Carden abdicate to Oak. Carden takes her to dance and kisses her in front of everyone, and she realizes he has been poisoned. She tries to take him away, and Balakin accuses her of poisoning him, trying to order her to turn out her pockets, which she, ju- which she does not. She takes Carden away. Chapter 28. Jude tries to keep Cardin talking and awake in her room, trading stories about their moms. The bomb comes to give him some clay to try and help and tells Jude that Balakin will give her the antidote to the poison that Cardin has ingested um, if she brings the crown to the gardens. She refuses to take it from Cardin. 
changes and goes to the gardens and Cardin orders the bomb to go with her. Jude takes the poison in her pocket so that she can test the antidote from Balakin first. He gives her the antidote and she spits it into her bottle, which sneaky Jude was only filled with water. Her and Balakin get ready to duel and she taunts him and he surrenders right at the moment that she slits his throat. She then gets back to Cardin and he is talking nonsense, though he though he's gotten the antidote. Uh, Maddox made Taryn come in, trick Cardin, and Cardin thought it was Jude because of the earrings, because they made Taryn more beautiful, and so he thought that that was Jude. I just can't get over that moment. I think that's so cute. <laughs> um, and by being tricked by Taryn, he gave Maddox half of the army and freed him from his vow to the crown. Which, I'm sorry, but Cardin, sweetie, why would Jude ever ask you to do that? Chapter 29. (laughs) Child. Chapter 29, Jude thinks through everything and does not feel good about their position when she gets summoned by Cardin. He wants his free will back because he wants there to be trust between them and because them not working together in full is not working for fairy. Then he asks her to marry him. Casual. And after a long mental debate, she agrees and they exchange vows in his bed and she releases her hold over him. They go to sleep and in the morning a messenger comes saying Balakin is dead and Orlog is demanding justice. Karn is not happy with Jude for keeping that secret. Chapter 30... (laughs) Jude and Cardin go to meet with Orlog, and they want him to give them Jude, suspecting she committed the murder, and Cardin refuses. Orlog starts to churn the sea, and Cardin finally taps into the power of the land and uses the volcanic land under the sea to boil it and also raise a fourth island. Jude realizes he's finally able to scheme as he starts to turn Nikasia into a tree to make Orlog back off. Orlog allows for an alliance, and he lets Nikasia go, but asks Orlog to make her ambassador, which makes Jude uneasy. Cardin then asks Jude flat out if she killed Balakin, and she admits that she won the duel between the two of them. So he banishes her to the mortal realm until she is pardoned by the crown, and that she'll die if she comes back. He yells, she yells that she is the queen they got married and everyone laughs including Cardin. The knights take her away and he names the new island Inseer, the Island of Ash. In the epilogue, Jude manages to make it to Vivi's where Heather has moved out because Vivi had to be honest with her. Vivi and Jude plot revenge, fantasies against Cardin and eat ice cream. What an ending. That is the end. Yep. Oh, lots to unpack in that last half of the book. Oh, so, so many things, so many things to unpack. I think, so, well, first, Julia, why don't you compare and contrast how well I did with my predictions? Oh my god, yeah, wait, you have the list here, okay. You have number one, Jude is going to rule by Cardin's side for a little while because he doesn't do a jack shit and she loves power. I mean... Kind of. It was like a half true. Like for the most part, it was true. And then towards the end of the book, he kind of is like, okay, like, listen, 
I I get the gist of the job. Like, let me have some, <laughs> let me have some power here. And let so me do this, please. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was mostly right. Because um, for the most part, like the rest of the book, it's really her. Um, well, little while is subjective. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, you you got that one. Your next one, the year is going to come. And they are going to have a falling out, and she will have to live with Oak and Vivi for a little while. They do have a falling out, and she does have to go live with Vivi for a while and Oak. So that's half true. The year just didn't come, and they nope. they just had a falling out about something that was unrelated to that. Yeah, she let so him go early. You, you get like a half a point there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your next one, while Jude is living with Oak and Vivi, Taryn will be pulling some shenanigans to try and keep Cardin and Jude apart. Uh, no. No, she didn't really do that. She was But kind she of, did she's, pull she's very, some shenanigans. She has pulled a lot of shenanigans, but they're all very self, self-focused self shenanigans. Like, her and Locke, her and, and Matic, like, family kind of stuff, I guess you could say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But nothing that she, she doesn't seem to care about. She might not. She might be so dense that she doesn't even realize that there's something going on. With her <laughs> That's probably that. true. I mean, maybe she does because she got Cardin to trust her for that whole Matic thing at the end there. But shenanigan. Maybe she just doesn't care enough to like do anything more. Like she doesn't think there's anything she can gain by it besides that. Well, she's just not ambitious. She's like, if someone asks her to do something, she'll do it, but she won't come up with the plan on her own. (laughs) Very true. Uh, Next one is Taryn will continue to be an antagonist. Yeah, I mean she's not as much I think of an an antagonist as she could have been, but she's not. She's not really doing much to help her sister right now. No. Yeah. Especially not at the end. <laughs> so, mostly true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oak will not be crowned king. Cardin will stay king the whole book. Very true. You got that right. Woohoo. Vivi will tell Heather the truth, and they will have to deal with that. I mean, they will have to deal with that, and it didn't go well, apparently. We don't think we fully know what happens. Besides that, Heather stormed off. Yeah, but, like, even the whole, when they were in Fairy with, like, how cavalier Vivi was being about everything, and Jude was like, you need to tell her things, and Vivi's like, eh, she'll figure it out, it's fine. And then, like, the glamouring her, I didn't predict that, but I feel like that definitely falls into this whole bucket of having to deal, because it's not good. Not good. Mm, Yep. So you, you did pretty well, though. I didn't have that many predictions. No. <laughs> they I, I kind of general, too. But they, they I played it very good. safe. I think it's hard yeah. when you're trying to predict what's going to happen in, like, a second book. Because, yeah. like, there's so much room where stories could go in, like, a trilogy that who knows what's going to happen in the middle. But, like, I have a lot more predictions for the third for the Queen of Nothing, which we'll get into in a little bit, because um, it's oh, a little excited. bit easier to like focus. It's the final book. Everything's got to get wrapped it's up. The final countdown. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. I before I go into any of my just like random, I have many random thoughts about this book, but I want to hear your thoughts. 
So I was having this like breakdown because I couldn't remember what parts were in what book and there were parts in here like when she's under the sea. I think I like knew that was in the second book but I kept putting it out to the third book which didn't make any sense because I knew that she got um she had to confess about the murder of Balakin in order to get sent back to the human world because I remember thinking distinctly like so she gets sent to the human world kind of in the first book not permanently and now in the second book she is permanently in the human world and it was just funny how that like came full circle again mm -hmm. um like the books end in the human world um but yeah that whole underwater sequence I remember it vividly reading it but for some reason I maybe because there's just a lot that happens in the third book I like kept placing it in the third book so there's clearly some big event that happens in the third book that I'm probably forgetting now because I'm like there's a lot that goes on in that third book like you don't even know you're not gonna be you can't even predict like probably the majority of the events that happen in that next book good luck if you do I'm gonna be really impressed um, will you like, tell okay. me even even now, like, have we gotten to the prophecy of who? There've been okay, many. So we prophecies. haven't even we haven't even gone to the prophecy. Well, there's a prophecy right. about Terry about like not, Eva's not, children. Not about Jude. Okay. Well, we know that it's Jude. <laughs> it's not. I'm sorry. Taryn could be a weapon. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Her um, steak knife. The, there's another prophecy that is very pivotal, but I, for some reason, like, again, I thought that was in the second book, but, like, and now I can't even remember after rereading it. It's I love how many prophecies book. there are in this book series where there's, like, no commentary on what prophecies actually mean. Like, I still don't understand how prophecies fit into this magic system. There was a prophecy in the first book about something with, like... I don't know, like, Locke said something, whatever, and I was like, mm, 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 and it was nothing. And this thing with the dude is also probably nothing. Like, I don't understand how they fit into the magic system at all. Oh, no, they, well, the one with Jude will come into play in the third book, which is also where this other prophecy comes into play, because they come into play at the same time. Oh, I remember what the prophecy was from the first book, was the prophecy of Dane's death. Oh, yes, okay. Um... I can't say much more about this other prophecy, but it's so there. So we continue to have prophecies that, like... We continue to have prophecies. Just are. I mean, maybe Oh, I'm no, it'll it'll come true. I know, and I believe that, but, like, maybe I'm spoiled in terms of, like, how prophecies get interwoven into stories from Percy Jackson, because prophecies are such a huge part of, like, every Percy Jackson book. Like, it frames the entire narrative of each story, and here, they're just kind of, like, haphazardly thrown yeah. about. <laughs> Which is fine. It's just very different from when I'm, like, used to reading about prophecies in YA. So I just need to get over myself. Um, I won't predict the prophecy. You're correct there. <laughs> um, and then it's really fun reading this back because, obviously, we know she's going to get back into fairy at some point, right? Like, she's been exiled into the human world and is supposedly going to die if she tries to get back into fairy. But, like, we're not going to, like, have the entirety of the third book be in the human world. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have read it then. Uh, it's fun realizing now because, like, there's a certain way 
like we are told how she can come back into the human world without actually being told how she can, or into the fairy without being told how she can actually go back into the fairy mm-hmm. um and we find that out in the third book so it's fun reading it back now and being like haha there it is there it is i found it so i i know something you don't <laughs> you know many things i don't when it comes to this book series true that is true um and then i just think it's interesting that because i never really picked up on it before um when Balakin's death is uh when carden finds out about Balakin's death all he says is ah like that's it and there's no visible surprise or anything um, mm-hmm. just interesting you know yeah, you know? I, I guess. I, I feel like Cardin's whole reaction at the end is, like, so out of character. Like, it doesn't make sense, which means there's something more to it. Yeah. Did I have anything else to add? No. <laughs> That's it? That's all the, the thoughts on reread? Um... Hold on, let me. Oh, I have, I have stuff. I have quotes here. Hold on, let me. That should have gotten this up earlier. I'm Ooh, quotes. Um, I just there's so many. Okay, yes, I have more. There's so many good quotes. Um, that I like forgot about, and I remember reading it the first time. I was like, I already pointed one out because you kind of added it into the, the um, summary. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness, where is that quote? Because it's one of my absolute favorite quotes of all time. <laughs> um, now I'm not going to be able to find it, even though I highlighted it. Oh no. It's when Locke, when he, when he, when she basically threatens him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here it is. <laughs> Your ridiculous family might be surprised to find that not everything is solved by murder. I just want to say that I'm pretty sure it's only Maddox and Jude who have murdered anyone. Like, where? why is he accusing the entire family of murdering people? Because no one considers Oriana an oak part of the family, and... Vivi is just, like, off in the mortal realm doing her own thing, and now that he has Taryn, Taryn's part of his family, not theirs. Yeah. But, yeah, he has a very narrow scope. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is my other favorite quote, because it sounds almost, like, Shakespearean. Um, I don't remember the context of it. But... She goes, oh, it's during, it's when Locke's bachelor party, which we don't know yet, um, has attacked her, and they're kind of playing with her, and so she goes, if I am to be a cat, let me give you a scratch. <laughs> I love that, like, it sounds like it belongs in a Shakespearean sonnet, like. It really does. <laughs> it's, it's kind of cute, I really, I enjoyed that little, little addition. She love has, uh, Holly Black has some really nice, um way of wording things sometimes sometimes i feel like her writing can get like honestly can get kind of like a mess because she's trying to explain so much stuff at once and like there's Mm -hmm. too much action but i love these little quotes that she adds i think 
are really fun. Um, yeah. Oh, the ghost betrayal. I was waiting for that to happen because that I remember reading it the first time it took me by surprise, except I'm pretty sure we were given a hint in book one. I think I talked about, it, but now of course I can't remember what the hint was. Um, and then of course we get the hint from Nikesha that someone close to her has already betrayed her, which we find out is the ghost, which was sad. I completely ignored that when Nikesha said it <laughs> instead oh of God. trying to figure out who it was. I I was taken by surprise. I was. I now, granted, out of the Court of Shadows, it actually does make sense for the ghost to be the one that betrayed her because he was the one that had the hardest time, like, moving on from Dean, I think, and who had the closest ties to Dean, so it, like, makes sense that he wouldn't just blindly follow Jude's lead in the way that the Roach and the Bomb were, were doing, but I was a little sad. I was a little sad about it. Yeah. I think that the Nikesha, um not prophecy but her <laughs> foreshadowing commentary know, her warning her warning i think i remember thinking it was gonna be someone like matic um like somebody like actually like familial or friendship because really the ghost is still technically like a co-worker of sorts right um so it, like that didn't even occur to me that's fair you know what i actually feel like i thought it was either matic or Taryn. And then, like, briefly, I was like, Vivi? No, wait, that doesn't make sense. Vivi's so removed from <laughs> all of this. Vivi's very removed from this. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been terrible if she had betrayed Jude. I would have cried. That would have been a Vivi's, shock. like, the only untouched, okay character left in this series. Even though she has her problems, but she's relatively okay. Just too yeah. cavalier about things. Yeah, exactly. She has, she's well-intentioned in her problems. Like, she wants to protect Heather, which I can understand. Like, it's a lot to take in. She's worried about losing Heather and scaring her away. Um, she just, yeah. Well, she wants she to protect to... Heather, but she doesn't have the lived experience that she needs to adequately yeah. be able to protect Heather. And because she's so, like, nonchalant about everything, she didn't take the things that happened to her sisters seriously. Yeah. Because Jude rebounds <laughs> from literally everything. Not every human will react that way. True. That is true. And then my last thing, which we kind of talked about, was the whole Balakin kissing sequence that happens. It's, yeah, it's just like, oh god, it's so uncomfortable it is sexual assault. Um, it is. She doesn't want to do it, and like, but like, if she doesn't, she's going to get in big trouble. Um, like, the, I don't really understand how. I feel like Holly Block could have done it. Like, oh my god, I can't even form words. <laughs> like, I feel like Holly Block could have shown that Balakin was trying to make sure he had full control of her in any other way that didn't involve making her kiss him like that. I would have preferred the the stabby thing that Dane made her do. Yeah, me too. It, it, it's just, it it's so uncomfortable and not in a, like, toxic tension kind of a way. Like, there's uncomfortable with, like, Jude and Cardin, but in, like, that, like, kind of 
it's okay uncomfortable. This is just uncomfortable and not necessary and just... This is leading to statutory rape. Like, Balakin is so much older than her. It's so uncomfortable and unnecessary. And it's weird. Like, it's just weird. Like, it's one thing... Again, not forgiving it, because I, I agree with you that Holly Black could have come up with a bajillion other ways to handle this if Balakin's trying to test her loyalty. But it's one thing to say, kiss me, because Balakin already knows that Jude is not at all interested in him and is interested in her brother, or in his brother. But to then say, kiss me like you kiss Cardin is a cringe level that surpasses anything I was expecting to happen because then it's almost like he wants to make out with a child. Yeah, it's very, very weird. Ooh. Yep. No unnecessary to the plot. There's unnecessary angst and then there's unnecessary plot devices. And unnecessary sexual assault. Yeah, exactly. There you go. We don't need sexual assault porn in books. We don't need it. We don't need it. It's not necessary to most plots. You just take it out. Do a different way. <laughs> Please and thank you. Yeah. With you and you have any thoughts before oh we get Oh my to god, I have like Yeah. Pages of thoughts. I wrote down so many random notes. I'm not going to go through all of them. Um but in the first chapter, when they were talking about Grimson and Mother Marrow, I was like, mm, they're going to come back into play later in the book. So, safe prediction for Chantella, as she was reading. Yeah. They did. Um, a lot of the stuff that I'll read is, like, predictions that I was making for myself as I was going through the book, and I don't know if they're going to, if they turned into anything or, like, are going to turn into anything, but the entire, like, when she, when Taryn first brought stuff for Jude to the palace and had, like, all of those clothes and jewelry and stuff, and there was that ring from Maddox's house that Jude didn't recognize, I was like, mm, this is a plant of some sort. There's some weird spell on this. Something's going on with this <laughs> ring. This ring is important. And I don't know if it, like, just ends at it being the ring that Cardin proposes to her with or if it's going to turn into something more, which we'll get into in my predictions. But I did call that ring being more than just a random thing in the jewelry box. So, literary analysis. (laughs) Woohoo. Missed the ghost's betrayal, but I focused on the ruby. (laughs) Priorities. Focused on on the big picture here. (laughs) Oh, God. Priorities. Um, I mean, just like a general comment for the entire book. The way that Holly Black wrote the tension between Jude and Cardin, and then, like, just, like, the interaction scenes between them, like, when they were getting physical, when they were, like, working through their feelings for one another, I just thought it was so well done. Like, it was not spicy, and I didn't want it to be spicy, because, again, it's YA, like, I don't want that in a YA book, but it was just so well executed that 
I loved them as a couple, and I was not expecting to love them as a couple as much as I did. I mean, I kind of was because I was rooting for them the entire past book, but I just really loved the way that it was done and, like, how they progressed towards having feelings for one another. The way that Cardin talked to her just, like, warmed my heart the entire book. He has now made it to my list of (laughs) top five book boyfriends. I'm... mm. Wasn't he already on there? Probably. <laughs> he's, he's climbing the ranks. He's he's climbing the ranks, exactly. I think um, he's now before... Let me see where I put him. Um, he is, Oh, so he is now fourth. He is now fourth. So my top five is Michael Moskowitz... Matthias Helvar, Nikolai Lansov, Cardin Greenbrier, and Richard Gancy are my top five book boyfriends. Nathaniel Thorne and Aaron Warner have been pushed down. Unfortunately. That will revisit that ranking at some point. <laughs> Nikolai will probably get pushed back down and, like, Warner will pop back up. We'll we'll revisit after I read a couple of our YA romance books, but not relevant <laughs> for the current discussion. Uh, the fact that Taryn was, like, okay with Locke having lovers really uh, bothered me. I don't know why. Like, I just, I want her to also feel empowered to take lovers. If he, like, if he's gonna cheat on her, she should be cheating. Oh my god. Yeah. It means, so there's equal footing in the relationship. Like, she should be able to go out <laughs> and, like... the wrong type, but yeah. I see your point. Or, if it's gonna be a polyamorous relationship, like, make it polyamorous. Like relationship. I think, well, but Jude makes that point, right? That, like, she was like, yeah. Locke, if you're gonna take lovers, you better be bringing Taryn with you. And I'm like, okay, get your sister into an orgy. That's sex positive, Jude. I love it. Okay. Like, not mad at that. <laughs> but it was just, the whole interaction was weird. Like, Taryn doesn't, it doesn't seem like Taryn sees herself on equal footing with Locke. And that that's what bothers me. And, like, the sexual relationship is just, like, one way that that's being shown. Um, but in general, she doesn't see herself as an equal. And, like, I don't want that for her. Even though I'm still very pissed at her for all the dumb stuff she's been doing. I want her to feel equal and, like, a partner in her marriage, you know? Because she's mm-hmm. going to be stuck in it for a while. Uh, I wanted... So, Jude made a comment about asking Cardin for his true name. She was like, oh, I wish I would have asked him for his true name because then I would never have to have this, like, one-year deal, whatever. And that does tell me... Because we were having a conversation about this with the Cruel Prince, and that does tell me that, like, real names are, like, separate from given names and that they do have some sort of like power over people in this universe like in Aragon so I just thought that was interesting and I want to see if that comes into play in the book in the third book not a prediction or anything I'm just curious if it comes into play at all uh the I rule mug that Cardin has oh my god (gasps) I don't even remember who's drinking out of it but someone's drinking like wine or tea out of it or something that came from Royben's mistress. 
in the deleted scene, like, extra little story at the end of The Cruel Prince in the Barnes & Noble exclusive editions. So I really liked that tie back to the exclusive edition that I read. I just thought that was really fun. Um... Oh, I was trying to make some predictions about what random message Orlog had sent about, like, spurning the sea, but that didn't turn into anything. I... (laughs) Poor little Cardin. Only getting negative attention from his mother and growing up on cat's milk because no one would feed him? Yeah. It's Sad and weird at the same time. Is that why he grew a tail? Uh, I don't think so, but it's definitely weird. But it's just so sad. Like, oh god, getting his backstory and, like, how neglected he was. I'm like, I understand even more so why you became a bully. I get it. It's not good, but I, I get it. Ugh, I was just, I felt so bad for him this entire book. Um, oh, yeah, when, it, when, the, when they, like, hooked up, um, I really loved the fact that we actually, like, talked through Jude's inexperience, because it felt real, it felt very real to character, which I appreciated. Um, again, no spice in that scene, which is the correct choice, mm-hmm. but they did talk through her inexperience and, like, her anxiety in the moment, which I thought was, like, very appropriate for, like, a YA book and for, like, helping teenagers relate to her. So yeah, I I really enjoyed that, and I'm glad that they were able to act on their feelings, even though we, clearly it's a mess to clean up later. Um, there was a quote that I really, really liked that Jude said, I think. She said, otherwise, the news that mermaids were real was going to come along with the news that mermaids were out to get us when they were talking to Heather. And I don't know why, but I just, I loved that. The idea of having mermaids being evil was just so fun. Even though we know the mermaids are evil. Um, Vivienne gets classified as an elf. In this book. So are elves fairies? I don't... I feel like... No. I feel like it's just a way to kind of explain her features almost, if that makes sense. Just like the pointed ears? Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes sense. It, I was just really confused when they were... Vivian was like, oh yeah, she, Vivi's an elf. And I was like, what? <laughs> when when yeah. did elves get brought in, brought into the mythology? Okay. Fine. You'll appreciate this reference. The fact yes. that Grimson only took a single tear from Jude as payment. <laughs> Jared and Evelyn. Oh my god. Oh my god. That's all I could think about. Okay. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I called it that the the group of men that attacked Jude was Locke-related. 
I called that. I feel like it was, like, obvious. Well. I remember remember predicting that, too. I was proud of myself for that moment. Um, Do I even know what I wrote in all of this stuff? Oh, Jude thinks that, like, Maddox ordered her death. And so she doesn't want to, like, ask for help, which is, like, ridiculous. Maddox would never order for her to be, like, completely dead. Like, any anything that's, like, going against her in this book was clearly Orlog or Locke or Nikasia or Balakin. Like, it was not Maddox actively trying to get her murdered or captured or kidnapped or tortured. But she's like, mm-hmm. Maddox did this. And I'm like, you're crossing lines that don't need to be crossed yet. That's... That's a book three thing. Maddox not the big bad in this book, Jude. Come on. Like, stop. But, whatever. Uh, the whole, all the torture scene in the undersea was just, like, really uncomfortable with her having to pretend to be glamoured. It's, like, very, very dark. It was, Literally. but I will say, out of everything in this book, it's what endeared her the most to me, because finally... We could just see pure Jude. She's vulnerable, yeah. She's vulnerable, but also she's strong through that vulnerability. And, like, the strength that she exerts in those moments was, like, awe-inspiring, right? Like, we finally didn't have to deal. And we didn't have to deal with it a lot in this book, but it clicked into place when she was being tortured, unfortunately. Sorry. But, like, how, just how strong and how, like, inspiring of a character she can be even though she can be frustrating at times it it worked so I was appreciative of that moment I knew that there was no way that Cardin willingly banned her from the palace and that that was all Maddox doing um because Cardin obviously clearly wanted to get her back and, like, was doing everything in his damnedest to get her back by his side. So there was no way that that Mm -hmm. was something that he did. I loved when she went to Hollow Hall and the door knocker was like, you're my prince's lady. Uh, Yeah, they know. The door knockers know. The door knows. (laughs) I love that. Cardin's whole little speech about how he feels about her was just, I keyboard smashed and typed in all caps about how much I adored how open he was being, even though he was being super vulnerable and she was not returning his feelings. So, loved that for him. Just, mm, his bravery. Great. I loved all of the scheming when they were all working together especially once it included Cardin like trying to figure everything out and I also love that Cardin was like always in every situation he's like can we like not murder everyone guys like let's avoid murdering everyone that'd be great thanks (laughs) compared to the court of shadows he's so innocent yeah which is hilarious given who he is. I it just had a lot of angst reading chapter 27 when she had to play her hand with Balakin. That stressed me out a lot. Cardin is so self-sacrificial. It kills me. I don't know what this is in relation to, but I just wrote fucking Taryn in all oh my caps. God. 
Was probably the, the earring pretending thing. Pretending to be her? Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. probably the earring thing. Cardin's second speech about wanting his free will back and wanting to marry her. Also very sweet. Um, oh, going back. Why would Jude want a mask of her face to go to a masquerade? I didn't quite... Un- I- both times I still don't quite understand that. I don't get it if anyone understands that and has a rationale for it please write in yeah, and tell I us know. I thought it was going to be something like she people were going to confuse her for Taryn and so she was going to be able to fly under the radar but that's not what happened so like I just I don't get it. I wonder if that was supposed to be a plot point where they were supposed to get confused. People thought she was Taryn and then they thought Taryn was Jude because of the earrings. But then Holly Black just didn't do the first part. Mm. But it got left in. That's my only reason for thinking that 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 stayed in. I don't know. I love Cardin's dryness when he's responding to Orlog about the fact that Jude would, of course, win a duel against they look so good so mad about everything he's like holding it and he's like well of course duh (laughs) duh obviously and i i got really mad at the end because i don't think Cardin is banishing her because he doesn't want her to be around i think he's doing something to keep her safe because it's not him like he loves her He's going to pardon her. He's helping her keep Oak safe somehow because Maddox's no longer under his control. And so he's doing what he can to help her keep Oak safe. And that means keeping them together. Like, she is his queen. I don't care if he laughed at her. They're together. She just doesn't know it. But, like, he has her back. He could have, because mm-hmm. that's the thing. He could have dissolved mm-hmm. the marriage. It's very easy to dissolve the marriage in Fairy. But he still wants the marriage, so that means something. It, like, has to. I don't know. I know he didn't want Balakin dead, but he wanted Jude alive more, so all of the stuff is for appearances' sake, so that no one thinks that she's a weakness of his after all of this stuff has happened, and he needs to appear really strong to be able to fight Maddox, because, yeah. And you think he's going to pardon her? I do think he's going to pardon her. I have a lot of predictions, though. So that was just kind of like, I wrote a giant block of text at the end of the book. Okay. But, okay. So here, here are my predictions. Before we get into that. Yes. The prophecy is in this book. It's just very briefly mentioned. Um, Okay. But it it does come into play in the third book. So the prophecy is about Cardin. And it goes, he will be the destruction of the crown and the ruination of the throne. Which is when his mother, Asha, Lady Asha, basically throws him out. Because she's like, I don't want anything to do with the kid that's going to destroy the crown. Like, <laughs> I don't want that on, on me. Like, that will be my legacy. Mm. Um, but that, yeah, it does come into play in the third book. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, I didn't think about that. Okay, so my predictions have nothing to do with that. Which may mean everything is completely wrong. But... I'm excited to hear him nonetheless. I'm going to stick to the things that I wrote yes. down. They might still be half right. You never know. They might. Um, okay. <laughs> Some of these might be completely out there. So just bear with okay. me. So kind of what I was just talking about, 
Cardin is doing a thing. He's trying to keep her safe. He does not actually want her gone. I think it's going to take Jude a little while to come around to that idea and realize he's not tricking her. Um, but she will come around because she did the exact same thing to him when she made him king. So, like, they're gonna have to balance out at some point. So, like, she betrayed him in the first book. He's betraying her right now. They'll balance out in the third book and, like, realize what they've done to each other. Mm -hmm. The ruby ring that he used to marry her is gonna come back. This is a far-out prediction, so it may be completely wrong, and it's coming out of left field, but I think he spelled it so they can use it as a walkie-talkie while she's in the mortal realm. Okay. <laughs> Interest. <laughs> left field. Left field based off of nothing, but I just, I think this ring means something, and that's where I'm currently sitting. Because he finally gave it back to her. He had ample time to do something to that ring. Okay. Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> uh, I think Maddox and Locke are going to be the big antagonists in the last book. So Locke is going to want to hurt Jude further, and he'll agree to help Maddox with something so they can both go after Jude. And that way, Locke is also... something doing something to keep Taryn happy so that she doesn't divorce him instantly. But, like, I think Locke and Maddox are going to partner on something in the last book. Okay. Maddox's going to try and create war against Cardin, and that's why Cardin didn't want Jude and Fairy, so she can't get hurt during the war. Okay. I'm not fully convinced that Roybin's favor has been called in. This may just be a way that things were worded, but, like, Dulcimara asked her to kill Balakin. She never actually heard that from Roybin himself. And oh, she you think it's a trick. I think it's a trick. So I think she killed Balakin, but she still owes Roybin the favor because she... Because Roybin was like, I'm not calling in my debt yet. I need to talk to Cardin first. <laughs> This is what Game of Thrones has done to us. If you don't see <laughs> know. it from, like, happen in front of you, like, from the person or whatever, it didn't happen. <laughs> it's so true. Trust issues. Um, also, this is uh, part of being an auditor. Our motto is trust, but verify. <laughs> Always kind of verify with the person you're talking about. So, yeah. I mean, will that amount to something? Probably not, but... I, I'm not fully sold yet until the book three is over that Roybin's favor has been fully called in. Okay. I think Oak will be crowned king in book three. And I think that this is the reason why the book is called The Queen of Nothing. Not because Jude right now is queen and she's going to the mortal realm and being banished, I think that's a misnomer. I think it's because Oak will be crowned king and her and Cardin will no longer have control over anything, but they'll still be married and therefore she'll be the queen of nothing. So it'll be like a former title, like Dowager something, mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
I also think that that's going to hurt Jude, like, a little bit, not having the power, because she likes the power trip. But by the end of the book, she will be self-actualized enough when she realizes that it's sufficient to just support her brother. Okay. I am, I'm praying, (laughs) and I don't even know if this is a prediction, I'm just praying that Maddox comes around and is just, like, the happy dad there to help Oak. It doesn't try to manipulate him. I don't have high hopes for that one, but that's That's what I want. a hope instead of a prediction. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I think Cardin's mom... Asha still has a role to play, and she's going to betray Cardin somehow. I don't know how, but I think she's going to betray him. The roach, this again, (laughs) left field predictions, but I'm running with it. The roach and the bomb are going to admit their feelings for one another, and one of them is going to die. Okay. (laughs) Nikasia is going... (laughs) I don't. I'm sorry. I tried to be really this fun with my predictions. These like are my fit. This is my favorite part of of um, these podcasts. So the I know they're so fun. Um. Okay. The ghost is going again. Completely unfounded. The ghost is going to triple cross and come back on their side. But of course, the bomb and the roach are going to make him miserable for doing so because they're going to be really mm-hmm. mad at him. Mm-hmm. Nikasia is going to try and convince Cardin to marry her, and obviously it's not going to work because he's already married, so she's going to do something reckless when she realizes he can't marry her. Don't know what that reckless okay. thing is, but I think she's going to do something reckless. Taryn is going to switch sides back to Jude at the very last minute. Again, okay. don't know what that entails, but I think she's going to come back around to the side of good. Uh, this is probably, again, a wrong random prediction that's stemming from Game of Thrones ruining my brain, but I think we need some more bittersweet in book three, so I don't think Heather's going to want to get back with Vivi, and Vivi's going to be forced to deal with her selfishness and her misunderstanding of humans, and is just going to need to work on herself and, like, learn how to become more empathetic. Okay. And I also think at some point during the book, Roybin's consort, Kay, is going to come into play. I don't know what for, but I think she will be a character. Okay. That's Are those all of them? That's all. I mean, that's a okay. lot. That's a lot of predictions. Yeah, it is a lot. How am I doing? Not great. I'm gonna be honest here. I mean, okay, I will say that you have some that are like, like this one where they're like half, they're like halfway there. Um, and that's all I'm gonna say. I don't want to spoil too much for you, but they're interesting. It's kind of like me with um, with the whole Evelyn thing. Like, there's some that probably would have been better than what actually happens, but. I'm still really proud that you were like, Jared's gonna die and come back to life. (laughs) That was a good call, Julia. (laughs) One of my better moments in life. (laughs) I think by getting that correct, you win. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Okay, but yeah. There's some interesting ones in here, though. I, it, it's always so fun to hear where you think it's going to go, because it's not going where you think it's going to go. That's all I'm going to tell you. Well, that's like, this book went nowhere near where I thought it was going to go. Like, I, so, full transparency, I knew that the earring thing was going to happen, that, like, Taryn was going to trick Jude, and the only time, or, Taryn was going to trick Carden, and the only time Carden ever mixes the two of them up is when Taryn's wearing those earrings because she mm-hmm. looks more beautiful and he's always seen Jude that way and so he confuses the two of yeah. them. I knew that was going to be a thing. I thought it was going to be book three. <laughs> and then as I realized she bought the earrings in this book, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's coming yeah. now. <laughs> so... Mm. That that's that was a really good part of the story, though. I'm glad she put that in. I just these little moments about Carden and like how much he adores Jude is—they're just so cute. And like, it's a build-up too. It's not like this like snap of your finger, they're in love kind of thing. It's like she, sh- as you said, like it. She shows them getting closer and like having to build trust. And building trust is so difficult, especially when you start off. In a very enemy kind of position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, she does that well. I agree. Shout out to Holly Black. Shout out. I just uh, copied and pasted all of my all predictions. Of your <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how many, if I recall the third book, I'm not going to tell you how many are correct that I can count. We'll read it eventually. It's all good. No yes. worries. <laughs> okay, Hogwarts houses. Yes, let's do it. You start with Jude. Oh Jude. God, <laughs> <laughs> our favorite. I remember what we did for her last time. Uh, I'm gonna just look at it because I feel like having it. Oh, we we split on Jude. Okay. Um, I'm. I struggle because, like, like I'm still, and I struggled with this last time, like, between Gryffindor and Slytherin for her, um, with little bits of Ravenclaw thrown in here and there, but, like, Ravenclaws would not go out of their way to try no, as hard no. as she does yeah. with anything. <laughs> I think I know what I want to put her in. Okay, what do you want to put her in? I think she's a big Gryffindor in this one, more than Slytherin. I feel like she shows a lot of bravery, like that mm-hmm. typical kind of style of bravery in the under in under the sea stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's where it really comes out when she just like has to like grit her teeth and like get through it essentially. Right. That's a very Gryffindor trait, I think, is that whole idea of grit. Um and like just being by Karnstein basically, like, ruling for him. It's a, it takes a lot of bravery to do that, um, and a different type of bravery than what we saw with Orlog. Um, yeah. Because she really doesn't belong in fairy at the end of the day, but she asserts herself and, like, makes it known, like, this, I'm doing his job for him, basically. So. And I also think that, you know, the difference, because I know, so last time you placed her in Slither and I placed her in Gryffindor, mm-hmm. and... I think Gryffindor, I agree with you that Gryffindor is, like, 
further cemented in this book and the reason for that is though even though more so in this book than she does in the last book she talks about like her lust for power and how she wants to like continue to grow and like have all of this power so much of it feels like grandstanding when she's like sitting Mm -hmm. in her own brain she's like yes I want power I want that I want to hold on to this this feels nice but when she's in those like tough moments and she's under duress and she's under pressure she's doing whatever she can to protect Mm -hmm. the people that she cares about and protect what she thinks is right not to get herself more power so like in the moment with Orlog, she's trying to protect Cardin. She's not trying to protect herself. Because mm. if she was trying to protect herself, she could have done things a lot, I think, differently. That they still would have trusted her, but they also probably would have given her more stuff. If she would have been, like, m- more grandiose with things. Whereas, like, she wasn't trying to manipulate her way into being treated well. She was just trying to do whatever she could in the moment to protect Cardin. And, like, that is more Gryffindor than Slytherin. So, I agree. I agree. Jude is a Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah. Cardin is a Hufflepuff. I agree. He is a full-on Hufflepuff. What did we say last time? Last time, we said Hufflepuff. We Hufflepuff. both said Hufflepuff. It just, like, I think her, her, I think his interactions with Jude especially show that, like, I, th- yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. He's a Hufflepuff. Like he's a it's Hufflepuff hard to and through. see him as anything else. And he's just he he. I think that if he weren't a king, if he weren't a royal, he would just be like a big fluff ball. Yeah, he just wants to drink and eat and have fun with his friends. Yeah, and exactly. have he has all this love to give, but like no one yeah, wants no one it. Wants it. It's so sad. So he tries to guard his heart, but he he can't do it very well. True. Poor little baby Cardin. Okay, Taryn. Oh my god. God, she doesn't even belong in Hogwarts. Like, she would get rejected. She would be uh, just... Oh my god. I think we said that last time, that she's basically a squib. (laughs) She is. She's terrible. Um... I don't, I really don't want to put her into any house. I get that, but that means she goes in Hufflepuff, because Hufflepuff takes all the rest. <gasps> Poor Hufflepuff, there's and, a Hufflepuff out there who's mad at us right now. I'm okay, sorry. but we've said bad stuff about all of the houses, and it happens. Um, but, like, I also think from a Hufflepuff perspective, like, she trusts blindly. True. And she will, like, stick by the side of whoever she is trusting at the moment. Like, she'll stick by Locke's side, even though he's doing absolutely horrible shit to her family. And she's like, but I love him. Also, if he says he doesn't cheat on me, he doesn't cheat on me, right? And it's like, Tara, no. No. And she's like, I don't really want him to do this one thing because he gets a little out of hand. But if you can't fix it, it's okay. And it's like, girl, what are you doing? The only reason she did the whole thing with Cardin and the earrings is because her dad asked her to. And she trusts her dad. Like, 
she just her problem is that she trusts the wrong people she's not trusting jude and jude is the person she should be trusting and she's still a little bitter about like jude dating Locke, and she's letting that cloud her judgments but yeah she blindly trusts and she has so much loyalty to the people that she trusts so i still think hufflepuff is the best fit house for her even though i agree she really shouldn't be allowed in hogwarts (laughs) i agree Okay, Vivi. Oh, Vivi. I think she's a Hufflepuff. I... So last time I think I sorted her into Ravenclaw. Oh. This book, I can't do that. She's too dumb. <laughs> like... I think she's just... She's too scared of losing people. She... She is kind of like Taryn in the opposite way where she just like trusts everyone and is just too afraid of losing everyone at the same time. Like, she doesn't necessarily trust everyone, but she trusts, I don't know, like those who get close to her too much to the point where it's dangerous because she feels like if she loses them, she's going to lose a big part of herself. Um, I also think she just trusts this. It's Vivi so interesting in this book because I feel like it's a really good representation, as good of a representation as you can get from a white author of, like, privilege, where Vivi has all of this privilege because she is a fairy. She doesn't realize all of the things that are going to be challenging and hard for Heather if she brings Heather home, and so she just ignores them because she doesn't realize that they exist, and then that comes back to bite her in the butt. And it's not because she's maliciously ignoring them or, like, turning a blind eye or, like, just trying to be obstinate. Like, she's not doing any of those things. She wants to do the right thing. She wants to, exactly to your point, like, keep the people that she loves close to her and do whatever she can to keep those people close, even if it Mm -hmm. means, like, you know, not telling the truth and, like, not doing the right thing at any given moment. Um, but she's just not aware of, like, what's actually going on around her. So, That's a good point. I, I, for that point, I actually would agree with Hufflepuff because, like, I think one of the reasons that I put her in Ravenclaw last time is because she was, like, very aloof and very selfish, but was aware of what was going on and was, like, making decisions based on what was going on, but not to the point where, like, she was trying to get anything out of it, but also didn't want to help anyone else get anything out of it. She was just like, Mm -hmm. this is the situation. I'm doing my analysis and I'm making a decision. I don't really care what way it goes. So because of that aloofness, but also that analysis, I put her in Ravenclaw. She does absolutely no analysis in this book. Not one bit. Shouldn't even try. So, yeah. Hufflepuff. Great. We're on the same page. We're doing good so far. We're doing well. I feel like because the character development is a much more, it's much more solid. It's more, much more solid. Um, Matic, still 100% a Slytherin. Yes. I mean, come on. Do we have to explain that one? Nope. That hasn't changed <laughs> from last time. It's exactly nope. the same. It's never gonna change. Oriana. We barely talk to her in this book. 
No, but she is there. I think, and I, but I don't remember why I said last time, but I think she's a Ravenclaw. That is what you said last time. Okay. I don't know why. Like, I can't fully explain it, but she, I just get Ravenclaw vibes from her. I feel like she, like, she's a Hufflepuff, but only really with Oak, right? Like, those characteristics only come out with one person. I think otherwise, she's just kind of, like, she's very careful about kind of understanding everything that's going on around her and kind of just figuring out the situation for herself um yeah mm-hmm. i'm still gonna stick with what i went with last time and go with gryffindor um Our first splits mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i think so and it's it might change next book if we get more from oriana but like from everything we know from her up to this point including in this book, which, again, is is very little. Mm -hmm. Like, she wants to do the right thing and is willing to do the right thing. She'll push back a little bit if she, like, to try to get something that will make her feel more comfortable. But she ultimately listens to Jude when Jude says, no, Oak needs to stay in the mortal realm. He can't stay here with you. This is what will keep him safe. Like, she listens and she self-sacrifices to do the right thing for Oak, which is very, like, Gryffindor to me because it shows a level of, you know, individualized courage that we don't always recognize, especially when it comes to parents. But, like, that's a huge sacrifice for a parent to make, to, like, send your kid away to live with their sister who has no idea what the fuck is going on um has never lived in the mortal realm really too much before but she's trusting her kind of daughter and has to trust that her son will be okay because it's the right thing for him to do to like go to a regular school and like be away from all of these toxic influences even though that hurts her so that self-sacrifice I think keeps her Gryffindor to me because I think a Ravenclaw would be a little bit more selfish speaking from experience okay oak fair fair we don't get a whole lot of oak here but I think I think it's a Hufflepuff I'd agree with that he doesn't have enough world experience I think that we can like say that he's anything else he just knows family and that's it like he just wants to be with oriana he wants to be with his family you know mm-hmm. he's just and a kid i think in the difference so i put him as gryffindor last time i think and i think the difference between last book and this book is he doesn't really have to do anything out of his comfort zone he just gets to like bop along and like have fun um And he just kind of does that. Like, he doesn't really have to act extra brave. He doesn't have to stretch himself too much in any of these situations. So, it's very low-key. We'll see what happens in the next book, but I would agree with Hufflepuff for this book. I think Locke continues to be a Slytherin. Slytherin, yeah. Again, we don't really need to discuss this toxic boy. Nikasia. I think she's a Slytherin. I go 
back and forth with Nikasia. Oh. Because it's so hard to tell how much of what she's doing is, like, for her own ambition and how mm-hmm. much of it is love. Mm-hmm. Like, how much of what she's doing is, like, wanting to social climb, wanting to make her mother proud, you know, having ambition for herself, and how much of it is her just following along with a plan that's laid out before her because she thinks it will win her back a guy that she's in love with. Because if it's option one, I say Slytherin. If it's option two, I would go Gryffindor or Hufflepuff. What if it's a bit of both? What if she thinks she's doing it for her family, right? And, like, she needs this because her mother is telling her she needs this. Mm-hmm. Still likes Cardin, but is also scared of losing her social standing. So I would be curious if her feelings for Cardin, and this it's all hypotheticals, right? But, like, I'd be curious if her feelings for Cardin stick if Oak had been crowned king. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't know. And, like, that's why I struggle with Nikasia, because it's so hard to tell, like, what is love for the person and what is love for the title. And She's a hard character. It's really, really hard to sort her. But, you know what, I will go with Slytherin just for ease based on the information that we have, um, especially how conniving she was with Jude. That's a very Ravenclaw answer of you. I'm just going to say that. Based on the information that we have. (laughs) I know. Well, but also, like, even if you think about it, like, she was torturing Jude to get information out of her that was self-serving for Nikasia only. Yeah. Like, not really for their whole plan, which, again, Ravenclaw would try to be finding the information for the plan to make the plan as, like, robust and, like, comprehensive as possible and the cage is just like but did you kiss the guy that i like because i might torture you more if you kissed the guy that i like which unfortunately is a little little bit more slytherin (laughs) okay orlog ah she to me is a true slytherin I mean, she is nothing but ambition, conniving, devious, like, trying to get her own daughter into the core, like, for her own gain, not because she cares about her daughter. I wonder how much of it, uh, this is maybe, like, completely out of, again, out of left field, I wonder how much of it is her actually wanting the power Versus her just trying to play a game to see if she can get away with it. For shits and giggles. Well, I think either way, that's a very Slytherin trait of her. The way she's I don't know. I would actually go with the game, like, just for, like, a hypothetical situation. Seeing if you can, like, make something work. Like, seeing if you can execute a strategy from start to finish. And, like, if it'll actually play out in the way that you think it would play out. That's Ravenclaw. If you don't crave the power... But you want to see if you can, like, make a plan work just for the sake of seeing if it will work. I could see that being a little bit Ravenclaw. 
It depends yeah. if she wants the but power But she has or a not. history. She has a history, I think, of trying to get power and wield power, doesn't she? So, like, we know that she's tried to do this in the past, and she's still trying to do it to this day. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree. I think at the end of the day, I would sort her Slytherin. Um, but I think her secondary house is Ravenclaw. Okay. <laughs> I don't really think it's any of the other ones. Like, as, as she's not brave. As soon as something starts to go wrong, she backs down. And she's definitely not friendly like a Hufflepuff, so. Mm-hmm. But, okay, Slytherin for <laughs> mother-daughter duo. Little Malfoys running around as mermaids. True. Uh, Balakin. Balakin. What did we sort Balakin as last time? Slytherin, probably, Slytherin. right? Yep. Yeah. Nope. I think, I think that continues like, to stay. We're Slytherins here, but come on. It's hard. Con- continues to stay. They continue yeah. to be Slytherins. R.I.P. Gr- Balakin. Grimson. Grimson. Also a Slytherin. He literally says himself, I just want the king to constantly come to me for whatever he needs. I want war because I want to make this stuff. I want to be recognized. I want the king to recognize me as this great armor person, whatever. Like, he says it himself. Like, he wants the recognition. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) I I kind of want to make the case for him to be a Ravenclaw. That, like, he's just trying to find the place where he can, like, survive and, like, ink it. Like, no. eek out, but no, I, I agree, Slytherin. I'm just, I'm trying to have a more balanced sorting, but I don't There's think it's going to no happen. There's no balance here. No. <laughs> Slytherins well, those... and Hufflepuffs, that's all yeah. we got. <laughs> okay. What did we say for the roach last time? Ooh, that's a good question. Ravenclaw. I feel like he, he teeters on a few. Okay, I, I would say Ravenclaw again, I think. I would agree with that. I think... Yeah, I think the secondary house would be Gryffindor for him, but I think he's more of a Ravenclaw. I think he's very logical. I think he's very logical, and I don't think he's going to stick his neck out for anything. (laughs) He'll just, like, disappear if he needs to. But again, he's not trying to achieve anything. He's just like, how do I survive with the least people knowing who I am? Yeah. (laughs) That would be great for me. Thank you. (laughs) The bomb. I feel like we must have said, like, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw for the bomb last time. We both said Gryffindor. Okay. I think I would still go with Gryffindor, but I think she teeters on Ravenclaw sometimes, too. Kind of like the roach, but in the opposite way. Where, like, she's more outwardly a Gryffindor, but I think she's very careful and organized and planning in a way that a Gryffindor might not usually be. I don't know. So a Hermione Gryffindor. Yeah, exactly. She's a Hermione Gryffindor. I agree with that. The ghost. Fucking Slytherin. Yeah, sorry, the ghost. What did we say for him last time? I didn't have this information, so I I said... I did, though. I said Gryffindor, and you said Slytherin, because you had this information. because I knew... I remember listening to this, and you were like, I'm trying really hard not to take further information into consideration, but 
it's so hard once you know you're like that's all you think about every interaction with the ghost you're like oh my god he's he has something else going on under the works you can't see it yet but it's there and you start thinking about everything that he's doing like how yeah it's just it's wild anyway that is true okay heather oh my god poor heather i'm like kind of between ravenclaw and hufflepuff for her Actually, she could even be a Gryffindor. I don't know. I don't think she's a Gryffindor. No? Because I don't think this okay. whole situation would have played out the way I'm that it getting, did if she was a Gryffindor. I'm getting back in, but we don't really know how the situation played out fully, right? So I'm getting into the third book already where, like, I know stuff that happens. Oh, God, this is so hard. Okay, I'm going to put her in Hufflepuff then, based on okay. what we know. I'm gonna put her in Ravenclaw for this book only because I think she made very, like, logical, self-important decisions that, like, made sense for her in the moment that she was making them. So, like, when she, like, found out everything about, like, Oak and Vivi, she let herself have her little freakout moment. She adapted she worked through it, went to the thing, something was too much for her, she pushed back and was like, no, this is not for me. And then when she found out that Vivi glamored her, she was like, I'm not dealing with this bullshit. Peace out. Whereas, like, if she was, again, in this book, a Gryffindor, I think she either would have, like, stuck it out a little bit more or would have been a little bit more open to everything when she was in fairy because it would have been like a new adventure for her to tackle. Um, and that was not the vibe that she was fully going into it with. She was like coming at it, I think, a little bit more logically, like, okay, here are the rules. I need to follow these rules. Vivi will keep me safe. I'm trusting Vivi to keep me safe. Vivi did not do that. Vivi abandoned her <laughs> in the middle of a fairy wedding. And she just tried to keep herself as safe as possible in the situation as she could. So I'm going to go with Ravenclaw. And you said Hufflepuff? Mm-hmm. Okay. Another split? I think that one's fair, though. Like, she could be, she kind of flip-flops a lot. She flip-flops a lot. I, I agree. Uh, okay. Asha. Lady Asha. What do you think? Because I know stuff that happens in book three. A Slytherin. Okay, great. Put her down. You agree? Okay. Yeah. I think that in book three, there would be an argument to change to a different one, but I would say yeah, Slytherin right now. Well, for this book, like, she's saying shit to Jude in the middle of the prison to try to get Jude to listen to her. She's doing everything that she can to try to get Jude to release her. Mm -hmm. She's playing games with both Jude and Cardin, but then eventually getting herself back into her position at court. Like, it all feels very manipulative, and I think it feeds into what my prediction of her is, that she's going to be an antagonist and, like, do something to harm Cardin um, in some way. Like, I just, I don't feel like she has good intentions, and I feel like her intentions are very self-serving. Okay. But I also don't think she's that smart, so I wouldn't necessarily go with Ravenclaw for right now. Okay, so that is our Hogwarts house sorting. I think for the most part, we stayed pretty consistent. So 
For book one, you said Jude was a Slytherin. I said Jude was a Gryffindor. We now both collectively agree. As of right now, she's a Gryffindor. Carden has stayed a Hufflepuff. Taryn has stayed a Hufflepuff. Vivi has become a Hufflepuff for both of us, though I originally had her as a Ravenclaw. Maddox has stayed a Slytherin. Oriana, we originally split. Gryffindor and Ravenclaw, we stay split for Oriana, Gryffindor, <laughs> and Ravenclaw. Uh, Oak, we both classified him as a Gryffindor originally. Now he's collectively a Hufflepuff. I think it was just because we were giving him points for being brave with, like, the coronation. Because yeah. <laughs> it was point. adorable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Locke, we kept and agreed that he was a Slytherin. Nikasia, I said she was a Slytherin. You said she was a Hufflepuff in the first book. Oh my god. Yeah, because I'm thinking about stuff that happens. See, this is the problem. I'm getting interference. Okay. <laughs> but now we've collectively we've collectively agreed she's well, a Slytherin this book, for this she's book. a full-on Slytherin. Uh, Balakin, we agreed he was a Slytherin. That has stayed. The Roach, Ravenclaw, agreed. That has stayed. The Bomb, Gryffindor, we agreed. That has stayed. The Ghost, I said Gryffindor, you said Slytherin, but now we collectively agree Slytherin little conniving (laughs) motherfucker uh and then heather we both originally said hufflepuff and i have since changed my answer to ravenclaw for this book so pretty pretty close um i'm not even gonna do the tally to figure out what the count is for the most part people are slytherins or hufflepuffs slytherins or hufflepuffs that's that's all we got for this couple of gryffindors thrown in there but very few Ravenclaws. Interesting, though. My house does not exist in this book no, series. No, it doesn't. <laughs> there are not. Yeah, I gave you one that you didn't even want to take, so. With Oriana. You put her in Gryffindor. I, I put just, her in Ravenclaw. I don't feel her there yet. I Maybe know, book three. We'll see. We just didn't get a lot of her this book, so it's it's hard yeah, to tell. True. Okay. Julia. Who was your MVP <laughs> for this book? It's hard, but I think that I'm going to give it to Jude because I think that she shows a whole lot of character development. Yes. I think as terrible as being with Orlog and being under the sea and everything was for her, I do think that's going to become a very important like piece of just growth for her later on, like realizing like she's vulnerable, like she isn't safe like she thought that she was and that maybe she does need to rely on Cardin a bit more than she originally thought Mm -hmm. and that whole piece where she has to trust Cardin and like allowing herself to trust Cardin that's miles away from where she was in book one like we really see her finally like being like okay like I have to lean on people for support to actually be able to get stuff that I need and maybe I don't want it as much as I thought I wanted um, I think we start to see some self-doubts, which I think are actually important. Like, obviously, you want to be confident in yourself, but you, I think self-doubts also keep you grounded. Mm-hmm. So we finally get her showing that part of her. So I'm giving it to Jude. <laughs> I love that. Um, I will say, too, for me, like, I think 
I grew to love Jude so much more in this book than I did in the first book. Like, yeah. you know how much I hated <laughs> she Jude. She was terrible the In the first book. book. <laughs> she was so bad. But I absolutely adored her in this book. However, for the sake of being diverse, mm-hmm. and also <laughs> because I love him so much, I'm going to pick Cardin. Um, I knew you were going to pick him. <laughs> so... But it was very close. Like, honestly, I was having this conversation out loud with myself, which was really weird while I was reading this book. But, like, I was going back and forth. I knew I was going to pick between Jude and Carden because, honestly, they're the only two choices for MVP for this book. Yeah. But the reason I think Carden edges out a little bit for me is because Jude is still... she's, She's had huge character growth in this book, but she's not quite to the point where she can admit things out loud yet. So at least she's become yeah. a lot more reliable of a narrator <laughs> because she's actually starting to, like, work through her feelings and understand her own feelings and, like, talk through it in her head. But she won't quite verbalize those things yet. She will admit things to Cardin here and there, but she's not to the level of, like, openness that I want her to be at and like Cardin's at that level which is what I appreciate from him in this book like he is so open and vulnerable with his feelings and like considering how traumatized he is from his past how much of a I mean even though he's king Jude has a lot of power over him and she's very intimidating and he's admitted how scared he is of her a lot of times, yet he still is willing to, like, be the first one to open up and, like, take that first step to, like, say how he's feeling and, like, try to guide her to a mutually beneficial solution that will work for both of them. He's very solutions-oriented in this book. He's always trying to find something that will make them both happy and not just her and not just him. Like, he's prioritizing both of their feelings and, like, trying to find the best solution for them both, which is moving past sort of the toxic traits that they had in book one. Like, he's trying to develop this healthy relationship for the two of them. Jude's not ready for it yet, but he's trying really hard. And I just really appreciated it for him. And I just thought that his little speeches about, like, how he feels about her, their interactions were just so well written and so memorable to me that, yeah, most, most valuable player. He would have been my other choice, and I left it to you because I figured you were <laughs> going to choose him. <laughs> I can't help it. I love Garden so much. Though, we really got to just, like, chop off his tail. I know. That that part gets a little weird, and I think I, it comes into play in book three of no! That makes me so uncomfortable. Oh, That's my like God. The reason I can't read fantasy is, like, that kind of thing is, like, oh, my God. This is not normal Stop. in fantasy. People don't have tails in fantasy. Like, it's just, it's unnecessary. There was, I think, Animal qualities. One moment, I think it's when they're doing their little nasty bit where his, like, tail wraps around her leg, yep. and I just... Yep. Uh-huh. No, thank you. I think that's what always, like, what, when this was a, I mean, it's still very a very popular series, but, like, when it was first getting popular, that's what always stopped me from actually reading it because it was made clear at the beginning 
that he has some sort of animal quality to it. I don't know if that was like, it must have been in a Goodreads review that I read. Um, I think the Goodreads review basically said like, if you don't like this, don't read it. So I was like, okay, I'm not going <laughs> to read it then. <laughs> but like, I have such a thing for enemies to lovers kind of trope that it, it, it kind of makes up for it. I think it makes up for it, and the enemies to lovers part is so much more than, like, the three sentences that the tales get described, so you just gotta exactly push past it real If you can quickly. forget that it's there, it's okay, and that's what I do. <laughs> I do that, too. It's, it's so weird. Like, the tail really bothers me. The wings in Akatar don't bother me that much. Oh man, they would bother me. So they bother much. me in the third book. I finished the third book. Oh god, it was so bad. You <laughs> would hate it. Like, I think you could kind of maybe get on board with the second book, but the third book, Not I my almost DNF'd it at least six times. Oh god. It was oh, 700 god. pages. Anyways, do we have anything else we want to say about the Wicked King? I don't think so. Are you excited to read The Queen of Nothing? I'm so excited to read The Queen of Nothing. I I didn't text you because I didn't want to, like, rush you since I knew it was going to be a while before we were going to record. But as soon as I finished The Wicked King, I was about to say, like, oh my god, I need to start The Queen of Nothing right now. I need to know what happens. I cannot wait but I can wait. It's okay. I'll, I'll be okay. Um, I texted Paulina instead, and I was like, Paulina, you need to read The Wicked game. I'm interested to see if you like The Queen of Nothing better than the other two books, because I personally think that they're better, but I also have heard other people who like this book better than the other books, so. We'll see. I definitely like The Wicked King more than The Cruel Prince. Yeah. <laughs> but it's in, not because of plot. I liked the plot of The Cruel Prince more, but I like the character interaction between Jude and Cardin more in this book, yeah. and I think that that wins out over plot, because um, the plot in this felt very, like, haphazard. Like, it kind of just felt like a bunch of random things are getting <laughs> thrown together, but that's okay. Like, I didn't mind it. It worked relatively seamlessly, even though it was very random. Um... But I'm, I'm definitely excited for the, the Queen of Nothing. But I'm also very excited to read The Savage Song. I am too. Oh my god. I have to buy the book. <laughs> yes, buy the book. Not, you know, a lot of people talk about V.E. Schwab, but most people talk about Shades of Magic or Addie LaRue. Not a lot of people talk about Monsters of Verity. And I think Monsters of Verity is such a good, like, world. I'm really excited just to get lost in the world, again, of the Monsters of Verity, because I think it's such an interesting... Magic system may not be the right word, but I'm gonna go with magic system for now. <laughs> I think it's such an interesting magic-slash-creature system that exists in the world, I think how it all kind of interplays is really interesting. It feels very dystopian. Like, it feels kind of Hunger Games-y in terms of, like, 
like Mockingjay, Hunger Gamesy, like how things feel in the capital after everything's kind of falling apart. Um, but also, I don't know. It it's it's very interesting how it all interplays and like how the the characters interact. Because um, I I don't think you know we get a lot of perspectives normally of people who are. monsters when we think about like having the perspective of a werewolf or having the perspective of a vampire but it's very rare that we get monsters that are different than that and this book gives us that and we get the perspective of a monster that is different than that so it'll be it'll be interesting we'll talk about it next week though i'm excited i cannot wait um so yeah so that's our next book if we haven't announced it on instagram (laughs) Yet. Yeah. Which we will at some point. It's all good. We got time. This isn't coming out for like three weeks, so it's all fine. I need to go to Barnes Noble. I'll get there. It's all good. Um, in the meantime, follow us on social media so you can stay tuned to when we're gonna start the next book, what's going on other books that we're reading, whatever it may be. You can follow us on Twitter at unangstpod. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at unnecessaryangstpod. And you can also email us if you want to talk about anything in a little bit more detail that cannot be put in an Instagram comment. You can email us at unnecessaryangstpod at gmail.com. And with that, we will get on about of here after this way too long episode. It's a long one. <laughs> it is a long one. I'll try to cut as much out as I can. Um, but we will we will talk to you all next week once we're ready to discuss the Savage Song. Have a good one. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.